Today's episode of Daily DVR dives into Veronica Mars is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Go to Cufflinks.com now and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. That's right, the whole shebang, baby. DVR20, use it. You need a belt, you need cufflinks, you need ties, you need like a pocket square. Come on, look good. Elevate your style when you walk out the door in the morning. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. They have everything you need and they got a great blog over there too that'll help you if you have an event coming up. So go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Veronica Mars. My name is Axel, my co-host is the wonderful and amazing Ken, and you can find out more about us at dvrpodcast.com. Also, consider supporting us and becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dvr. You can also send feedback to dvrpodcast at gmail.com. Today we're going to be talking about Veronica Mars Season 4, Episode 5. I'm covering Bachelor in Paradise with Sarah. We had our first episode last week. You can find that on iTunes or whatever. Just search Bachelor. And this week, Heath and I are starting Mindhunter. Season 2 drops this Friday, which is August 16th. Not sure when this podcast is coming out. But anyway, it drops August 16th. And we're going to be covering all of Season 1 and 2 of Mindhunter. But today... We're in Neptune, baby, and I'm so happy to be talking to Ken. Ken, how you doing? I am doing a okay. I ha- I'm I'm a little lighter because I had a a situation with one of my front teeth, so there. So you might hear a little my 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 voice might sound slightly different, but my enthusiasm and love for Veronica Mars has not ebbed, and I'm super psyched that we're into the second half. Of season four. Yes, me too, man. I have real. you know what? It's interesting the way we're doing the podcast and watching these one or two episodes at a time when yeah. all of it has dropped. And I didn't think that I would be able to do it. And it's actually been a lot easier than I thought because I've been enjoying it so much and it, and it almost like forces you Sometimes in streaming, I feel like a good stuff can kind of go by so quickly because you're like consuming it, you know, and not savoring it. Yeah. And this way, I feel like I'm really savoring each episode and uh, I'm really getting to know it even more so than when also when there's like 20 episodes in a season and everything. So I've been really enjoying it. And I really enjoyed these two episodes. I agree. Agree with you. And in fact, most of the time I'm watching each episode two or three times yeah. um, before we talk about it. And so I really am like, it's really like marinating in my brain um, because of that. And so I 100% agree with you. A, that I didn't think I could do it either. And also that I've enjoyed kind of taking this time um you know, smelling the bouquet, as wine people like to say, you know, of, of each episode and kind of just letting it really sink in. What do you think? Now, you mentioned that we're now at the halfway point. Yeah. We covered the first four episodes. There's eight in total. We're going into five. When you look at this season, 
it's it's hard in a sense to compare it because Veronica Mars has really had three, or if you include the books, four different lives, right? Yeah. And also, even in the show, like see, each season was so different, and especially season three was so different than one and two. Yeah. Um, what do you think about in the beginning when we first started how we both talked about after the first episode feeling like this is kind of the best version that we've got so far with the uh, with everything kind of lining up budget, freedom, creativity, people who are all older and are better in their craft, you know, having worked together. Now that we're four episodes in, how do you compare it and how are you feeling at the halfway point? Well, I, I must say that I feel 1,000% more of what you just said. Like, I still feel like it's the best version of the story that Rob and Diane have been trying to tell since season one. And it's even better than season one, which for many people, myself included, was sort of um, the hallmark that I compared and contrasted every other Veronica Mars thing to. Um, I still love season one. It's great. If you haven't watched it, then why haven't you watched it if you're listening to this? <laughs> but, but go back and watch it because it's a great 22 episodes of television. Um, so I feel even more so that it's the best version. And it it kind of highlights something for me. And you and I have touched on it maybe in the last podcast or the one before, which is that Rob and Diane did not need 22 episodes to tell a, a great mystery. Um, there were lots of red herrings, lots of uh, dead end roads. By the very nature of, of, of having to fill that much television, you sort of and, – and when you're telling a mystery, then you sort of have to do those sorts of things just to fill out 22 hours of television. So A, he didn't need 22 hours to give us complicated characters, complicated relationships, complicated mystery – the other thing it tells me is that season three was probably a bigger mess behind the scenes than any of us will ever know. Yeah. Um, I think the reason why 12 episodes didn't feel a, like a lot for the first mystery or eight episodes didn't feel like a lot or six episodes didn't feel like a lot for the second mystery in season three wasn't because of the length of the episodes. It was maybe because the network because Rob was working on quicksand, maybe the the network was telling them one thing. And then a month later they were telling them something else. And then a month. So I think it was impossible for him to pre-plan season three. And I think he was getting different information, even as the season was going on, but we'll never know that now. And I don't think anyone will ever say anything, but I, I have a feeling that Rob was, was really compromised while he was making season three. Um, so, so it kind of sheds light on the past for me and, and it makes me enjoy what I'm watching right now even more. Yeah. I, I, I have to say that I can only repeat myself from what I said in the beginning. I feel the same way. Uh, arriving at the halfway point, I agree with you. It illustrates how we were, and we were correct in talking about that. And I think the fandom in general, and you're right about, they've been, uh, some of the stuff I've read, he and others have been honest about struggles, but 
he's a professional, right? And yeah. it's not a lot of gossipy stuff. Hey, you get notes, the network's being sold. You know what I mean? It's a different network. It was obviously a big struggle. But now we really see, um, even on the, it's the subtleties, right? Where it felt like uh, in seasons one, two, and especially three, where there would be an opportunity to dip into something deeper, the show would kind of turn lighter, right? Yeah. And turn turn a little bit more fluffier, okay? General. Mm-hmm. And we see in this season, it turns a little darker, not even a little, like a lot, you know? And especially yeah. in the portrayal of Veronica herself, there's a depth here and a willingness to kind of go places with her that I feel they weren't willing to do, but wanted to. And some of it is that she's older, but some of it I think is just the freedom. And I think tonally the show works a lot better too. It seems more realistic. It still has an element of, even in this season, it still has an element of that, that CW ishness, you know, like it's not, it's not the wire. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's dark and it's deep and it's realistic, but it's not trying to give us like McNulty characters, right. Or like, uh, just people who are, uh, totally real. You know what I mean? There is still a kind of noir feel to Veronica Mars. It still has that aspect to it, right? It's not what the word I was looking for is like docu-series, you know? Like it's not like a docu-drama. Yeah, it still has a heightened quality to a stylized quality to it. Hollywoodness to it, right? right? Yes. Because of the noirish stuff that yeah. they're doing um you're right it's not a docudrama um but it's also not like it's not like um season two especially moving forward of veronica mars where the network obviously gave rob notes that they wanted more romance they wanted right. more exactly. you know teen, yeah, exactly. teen stuff going on teen relationships yeah so. you you totally hit upon it you could and we accept those things. That doesn't make the show worse for me, yeah. right? Like that's a distinction that I think is sometimes um, hard to make when you're talking about art or entertainment, whatever, however you see it. Uh, I see it as art. And um, where you kind of accept certain things because you're in that world, you're in that framework, you're also in, you understand an economic system, a distribution system. There's meta reasons why you accept it, but it's okay, you know? Um, It's just like people who watch like a superhero movie or something. They just accept that that's that world. Whereas some people, you know, there's a lot of people like, I've never seen any of those movies because honestly, it just looks silly to me. And there's a lot of people who feel that. And I think that there would be people who would watch Veronica Mars and not be able to understand the blend of character, reality, but that that genre play that's going on as well. And yeah. I think that that's taken to a higher perfection in this season, too, through the ability to be more adult 
and even with the, I even see with Maddie, they haven't gone for these typical teenagey things that they would have done in season one and two, right? Like a subplot with Maddie's little friend. You know what I mean, Ken? Like you could see them doing that and we'd accept it, but they don't have to do that here. So it's just, I don't know. I just want to kind of dip into and talk about that for a little bit, but my overall impression is that it remains the same as it was after the first episode um, that they really are just firing on all cylinders here and everyone just seems like they're having a lot of fun. I agree. I like the way I think about it is that it's leaner and meaner. Um, And if you go back and watch like anyone who enjoys this 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 show tonally might want to go check out a few Humphrey Bogart movies from the 1940s like the Maltese Falcon or um, any of his Norish detective movies of which he did four or five of them usually with Lauren Bacall Um, those are also very lean and mean and the dialogue is very economical in all of those movies and so Rob is literally doing that thing because what's the one word we've used over and over again economical economical um the writing this season in particular has been super economical um the way the characters get introduced the way that developments have happened it's all been super economical and that's just classic noir they're always lean and mean and this season is exactly those things yeah yeah the uh the the um uh, what's the uh, Turner classic movies was playing a bunch of those over the weekend. And I was like dipping in and out and, uh, and watching. And um, it reminded me of that too. And I think, you know, I always wondered, and it's funny, they've never done it on this show that if they did like a segment or even an episode that was like in black and white and had like Veronica Mars PI, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. I've never, it would have been interesting to, to, to see them do something like that. Um, that would have like been a, a dream, like, like a dream sequence episode yeah. where she like, yeah. where she like goes to sleep and she has a dream that she's like in a 1940s, 40s noir movie. Yeah. That yeah. would be cool. I always wonder if they, if they, it's funny that they never did that. Yeah. Um, who knows? May, there's still more episodes left in this uh, in this season. Let's see. Yes, yeah, so that was good, man. Good to discuss the uh, the first four episodes. See where we are halfway through. And I don't know. The only other thought I have on that is I all I just hope that there's going to be more seasons because I'm already excited. And uh, who knows what's going to happen in these next four episodes. And I'm interested in seeing it. We're going to talk about episode five right now. But I can only say that seeing how well everybody is like working together and it's just such a fun production, it looks like. And everything I've heard is that it was great, you know, and yeah. I, I can't imagine that this cost that. I mean, it looks great, but it, I don't think it's going to it cost as much as some of these other like Handmaid's Tale or something like that, you know. So give us eight more after this is what I'm saying. I haven't heard anything yet, but I hope that that's going to happen. 
I do too. And I feel like Hulu is in the market for a number of flagship shows yeah. right now. It, it really just has the handmaid's tale. Um, and so I feel like if Rob and Diane can keep doing this in eight to 10 episodes, that feels like a minimal investment from Hulu. Um, even if, especially if it's only eight episodes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I'm with you. I I like keep them coming. Yeah, keep and, them coming. And you already built the sets as they always say, right? I mean, that is an actual consideration. That costs a lot of money. So, you know, they've got once you once you put a show into production, you're really you're creating a company. That's what you're doing. Like not just the word company as an acting company, but a like a real company. You know, and you build all this stuff in offices and sets and everything. So it's like, if it's working, keep it going. So let's, uh, and with that, let's move on to our, the title of episode five, which is Losing Streak, which is the exact opposite of what we were talking about. I just saw that and I was like, okay, good, Losing Streak. I was like, I'm thinking, because I saw it in my mind, it prompted my mind to be like, we're on a winning streak with Veronica Mars. Um, all right, so... We found out at the end, we kind of left off at the end of episode four with Penn's big um, uh, kind of uh, yelling at Dick and Clyde at the meeting yeah. and outing them that he thought that they were bombing everyone. And that's when Keith and Veronica realize, hey, he bugged us, right? Yes. Um, but we are also thinking that there's also that Maddie told him as well, you know? So yes. I remember I had that question like, wait, wasn't it Maddie? I didn't quite understand the bugging thing. So at this episode, we kind of start out with an explanation with, with a confirmation of that. Penn is listening to the bug. And I like this bugging thing because this go this is like something that Veronica always did on the show, yeah. <laughs> like with the pens and everything. So I kind of like that pen is bugging her, and she used to use a pen to bug everyone. <laughs> Nicely done. Right? I see what you did there. <laughs> I think they know that too. I don't know. I yeah. feel like they knew that, yeah. and I feel like I may have missed us like a like a joke. To that, because I was trying to listen. Did they make a pun on that? But I don't know if they did. But um, anyway, Keith and Veronica do that thing when you know someone's listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they also like totally make fun of him and call him a big loser. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of a funny way to start out the episode. And once again, I am really loving this character. And I think that this at first, I was a little unsure, you know, because he's always the nerdy guy. Yeah. Uh, but he's really, it's like he's upped his nerdy guy game. And I'm kind of liking him. And I, yeah. I, I kind of respect that he did this in a way. Well, I <laughs> feel like his character or alter ego is of the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there are, I don't know how many pens there are out there. Oh, God. But, right. but there are a lot of pens out there. Um, and, and they're talking about politics or they're talking about, um, you know, crimes or they're talking about scandals, but because of the technology that we're now surrounded by, it has really propelled 
people like Penn um, to exist and to function and to be out there in the world and to put themselves out there in the world um, in a way that maybe he, like, I don't know if he feels like he can do that in his nor in his real life, in his personal life. Um, he seems shy, especially with the girl. Um, but in this venue, when it comes to these sort of conspiracies, he feels like he can put himself out there. So, and I feel like that's of the moment. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's a, and he's kind of changing, right? Like from being that like keyboard cowboy to taking like real world steps. And I think that that says a lot for our modern society too, right? Because for so long, people would say, step out from behind that keyboard. And now that people are doing that, we're like, okay, you can go back. (laughs) (laughs) But in his case, I kind of like him. Um, So that was the cold open. And then we get a quick little scene when we open the uh, actual episode with Veronica and Logan together, kind of catching up. there's there's a mention, and I th- I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was weird the way the emphasis is on him riding his bike everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of a joke, but then it was also I didn't like that it was like an ominous in some way. Like you keep on riding your bike. I don't like when people mention stuff like that. Um, it's there like I got to get the brakes fixed on the car. Um, it's like Chekhov's bike yes I didn't like it but I think it's also just shows how Logan is like changed you know he really is like he's doing that for fitness but also environmental like he's like a man of action now and it also shows how Veronica and Logan are both, but especially Veronica, is going to great lengths to not talk about the thing yes. that they should be talking about. <laughs> but in, instead, they're talking about how much he bicycles. Yeah, you're right. They're not talking about the relationship, um, which has really, man, I'm telling you, they've really done this well with Veronica. And really, her character has it's weird to say blossomed because it's almost like a you get to it's almost like you get to see a rot that's inside yeah. um or but not a rot something that needs to be healed I shouldn't call it a rot that's I was thinking that's probably the way she would describe it but you see she is really a lot more a lot darker um and and intriguing too which I like it and and uh she is the actress Kristen Bell has really has that depth now and she always had it, but man, you think about all the time she's been working now, you know what I mean? Like this is 15 years later, like she's done so much. Well, it's also nice when, when someone in Hollywood gives an actress the ability to play as many colors as men are often allowed to play like Walter White from Breaking Bad. So it's nice when um, when a female character gets to be wrong and gets to be bad and gets to make the wrong decision and gets to wallow in addition to all the other things that Veronica is brilliant, intelligent, intuitive, clever, funny, a good daughter like Veronica Mars is a lot of things, but it is nice to get to see her be like even more well-rounded by showing us her, her scars. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's been a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, we get Bryce's dad. 
He's a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, just when you think that Neptune may have turned a corner. Nope. Nope. There's yeah. still a bunch of douchebags who live yeah. in Neptune. There's a lot of big dicks in Neptune, <laughs> right? Big dick is not alone. Um, so basically this boils down to Bryce's father confronting the police chief, threatening her, then walking right out and telling a bunch of reporters who are there that he's going to give $200,000, whoever finds the bomber, his son's killer. And this is a real, I found like it it strike. I'm not, I was a little, I have to admit this scene was a little iffy for me and I'll tell you why. Perhaps it was the actor, but I just felt the way it was so soon after his son's death that there was just, but it was erratic enough that it worked for me. Yeah. But I felt that just the, the confrontation between him and the police chief, just having a son myself. And then he's just like, you know, my son died. And just like even saying it, it seemed like it was so quick. Um, and, uh, so it was a little bit, I had to take a little bit of like my plot pills for this one. Uh, but eventually it worked for me. And it was also because of the fact that this is Neptune and we've seen so many of these type of men who would turn a tragedy, a per, a close personal tragedy, right? Like that, Yeah. nothing worse in the world to an opportunity to somehow swing their big dick around. Yes, absolutely. Um, The other thing it was for me was a character beat for Chief Langdon, because I don't know if I've ever liked her more than when he was done talking and she made him sit down and she said a few things to him. Yeah. And, you know, she said it like it was. And, and so I kind of loved the way she dressed him down uh, uh, in, in response to him trying to dress her down. And it was a great character moment for her. I still don't, she's still not team Mars. So therefore I can't like her. I can't be, <laughs> I can't be behind her um, as a share, as a chief of police. But in that moment, I'm like, you go girl. Yeah. Yeah. She is an intriguing one for me. I'm still on the fence about her. Because she does just seem, she's not crooked. She just seems, she's just selfish and playing the game, you know? But then you have to wonder, people like that, how long until, right? Right. That can be used against them. So, or if it is already and we don't know it. So that's why I did too. I think that she actually said that to him, like your son, you know, like, and she was kind of putting it into perspective, but also putting him in his place as a, a, a Neptune dude, but yeah. uh, we'll see. She is still in, in, kind of intriguing to me. And I like the actress. I think she's doing it well. She's not giving out, giving it away too much either way. No, she's not. Um, the next thing we have is what amounts to like maybe the set piece of this episode. Um, there haven't been a whole lot of set pieces since the first few episodes or even the first episode had a number of set pieces, but, um, but this is kind of a set piece because Veronica goes to Wallace's house for a party and you get to see this montage because she's alone. She's not with Logan. Um, and you get to see this montage of Veronica doing a cocktail party, um, (laughs) with a bunch of, this was great. Like, like her, uh, Wallace's yuppie friends. Yes. Yuppie quote unquote. Um, 
And it's great. It's so good. And it shows too the difference. Like it's important. I think it's really important for for this show at this time to to really address the differences in her age, right? And yeah. where she is. And I think it's 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 a little weird to say it, but it's particularly important because she doesn't look that different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the actress herself is so like she just retains her youth. You know what I mean? Like she. So I and I and there's little kind of calls to that too about her size as well, right? Yeah. Um, is mentioned a lot in this. So I think that putting putting Veronica in these situations. And it makes me think as a guy who's 45, married, six-year-old kid, right? Like I go places and I've been at parties like this. And to me, um, if I met someone like Veronica, I would probably say to her like, yeah, you must feel kind of weird here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's I, – I would kind of notice it, you know? Um, and it's and it's interesting because it's like I think that the the people there kind of do – you know what I mean? Like they see her a little bit as an other. It's not just what she's throwing at them. I think that they kind of see a different life there. And uh, it's interesting because she really has not chosen that. You look at her two long-term relationships and it's basically like having like really long-term boyfriends at an yeah. age where most other people would be getting married or thinking about settling down. So we, I think it's important to have these um, scenes here that aren't affiliated with the mystery or anything, but our character building. It's also interesting to me how Rob and Diane keep putting in gender and racial components even if it's subtle, like the guy who equates once he realizes she's a PI equates her job to a Charlie Chan movie or the woman who's telling Veronica about all the, all the troubles she's having getting her kids into, um, into the right school. Yeah, and then, yeah. and so then when Veronica comes up with the brilliant and funny story about her fake children, Hakeem and Elijah, um, <laughs> That's like, and it's funny, but there's like a racial component to that yes. jab. Yeah, that's really important, and um, and I love how subtle it is. Sometimes, sometimes it's not subtle. In this case, it was funny and subtle, um, and um, and I think that's kind of Rob's worldview at this point. Possibly, it's a dark worldview, but I hate to say it's not a completely incorrect worldview. Yeah, I think that um, it also shows the way in which the world reflects Veronica, right? Yeah. I think that these are the issues and these are the things that she finds difficult in the world and kind of maybe the reason and hinting towards, right, the, her, the reason why she is who she is is not just because of her mom, right? And the terrible thing that happened to her best friend and what she went through in high school and all that. But it's also the things she's seen, right, have led her to have an overall kind of nihilistic view on the world. And and she doesn't see the joy of bringing a new life into this world, right? 
of what's the point in forming a family when not only will it perhaps self-destruct from the inside, but all of these outside forces that are working against it, right? Societal and cultural and economic that are against it as well. And uh, this party, though it's funny, right? And she gets to, and she, and Nicole kind of shows up out of nowhere and they, they do the, they do their kind of single ladies vape pen party, (laughs) (laughs) which is awesome. Um, That's, that's fun. uh, But it's an escape, you know, it's an escape. And these scenes where Veronica gets wasted, right? It's happening a lot, isn't it? She is self-medicating yeah. a lot. And it's, it's part of the um, show. Yeah. It's, and part it, of it's kinda it, it's kind of sneaking up on me, kind of like I think the way it's sneaking up on you, just the totality of it. I think every episode, in one way or another, she has self-medicated. Yeah, yeah. And she's and and it's at and it's usually at a time of stress, right? Yeah. It's not like she finishes a lot, uh, you know, they find a break in the case and she's like, hey, we got to relax. Let's have a few drinks and talk and stuff. It's more like escape, right? Yeah. Like something stressful is happening or I'm in a situation in which I feel different and I have to balance that, right? Normalize it uh, with this. So it's interesting, you know, we, we don't, I, maybe, uh, I mean, look, the kind of, alcoholic or drug addled PI is a subgenre. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And it's actually, it's a part of the genre, but it be, kind of became a subgenre too. In and, itself. It, it, and it's a thing because of the thing that you were just talking about a few minutes ago, which is that PIs, unfortunately, because of the nature of their work, they, they get to see the worst of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And so because of that, they often all have a nihilistic worldview and a reaction to that would be that you need to numb yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't get any better here is what we're talking about because, you know, what begins as this escape from from this kind of parent slash yuppie talk. And they actually did seem like all nice people, you know, I mean – uh, little kind of uh, racial components aside, uh, you don't know what's said within the company of people, but it did seem like they were just kind of like Wallace's workmates and friends. And so, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just people who she would know from that town, normal people. Um, and then her and Nicole uh, go out to some, uh, looks like a, like a dumper or um, what, whatever they call it, like a, uh, a place a, where old cars are like a junkyard, a junkyard. There you go. Junkyard dog. They uh, <laughs> go to the junkyard and they start taking target practice. So this, this changed. <laughs> well, and then in w- when they were still vaping in the bathroom, yeah. we, we had this great, like really great character moment for Nicole where she got to tell Veronica the origin. Oh yes. This is of, serious. Yeah. Of, of how she got comrade quacks and, you know, it, it's not only a great character moment for Nicole because she gets to tell the story of how one night while being while working as a waitress at Quacks, after repeatedly telling the the Russian owner that there wasn't enough lighting between the club and the parking lot, employee parking lot, she was walking out one night, she got attacked and raped. Um, and she sued him. 
and all he had was the club and she got the club. Yep. Um, so it's a great character moment for her, but at the same time, it's also a great character moment for Veronica because we fans of Veronica Mars know what this sort of story means to her and how it reflects her own life. And they, and they share that by saying they're both like dedicated to helping women yeah. and putting down men like this and Two women saying that as they're taking target practice is pretty powerful. And the way in which they discuss this first, right, it begins when they're getting high on the vape pen in the bathroom and then continues as they're taking target practice. Uh, It's a real connection between them. And we saw that from right off the bat. Um, So this is uh, good. Uh, Nicole is getting, is a character that, you have Nicole, Maddie, Veronica forming kind of like this powerful uh, triumvirate. And um, it's interesting to have Veronica meet someone that's her peer and someone that's younger that she can relate to at the same time. Because we really haven't seen her have that ability so much either. You know, Well, it's a connection and it's a good connection and I'm glad for it on one hand, but it's also a dark connection. Yeah. Um, she has a dark connection with both Nicole and Maddie for different reasons. Um, and so, I mean, sexual violence is, is, is her connection with Nicole and the death of a loved one, the violent death of a loved one is her connection with Maddie. And even though it's nice to have a connection, you kind of hate that that's the connective tissue. Yeah, but so is life though, right? That's true. You never know what brings what brings people together. But I really like this. And you're right about this being kind of a cool set piece in it. And even the um the target practice thing was interesting. And you know what? It eerily for me, it was there were it was reminiscent the way it was shot and framed of when the two brothers were yelling like Abu Ghraib and throwing stuff at Maloof. Yes. It was kind of like a reversal of that. You know what I mean? And I think that that was purposeful in a way. Um, And it was from the way it was shot too. Because I mean this, uh, I haven't been mentioning it as much um, because we do get so much into characters. But I really have enjoyed in this episode too, even with this. Uh, the vape pen, just the way they're shooting in the bath. They're having a lot more, still a lot more fun in the way they're shooting and opening it up a lot more. And I can tell that they're letting it roll. These are the best directed episodes of Veronica Mars yeah. in the entire run, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And, um, and they're, they are letting it open. I can tell that they're letting like letting them go off script and off book and talk and, and, and improv more. And I, it just seems to flow in a way that is less so is so chippy in the first couple seasons, you know, which I enjoyed that very much. But I find that they get into that here, but then they also let characters just talk. Yeah. Speaking of talking, we sort of get another set piece, a mini set piece. This is talk about economical writing. It's Keith and Veronica in the detective office. That's all it is. They're just talking. They're moving around a little, but they're mainly just sitting or standing and talking. But it's kind of this long scene where they talk about Nicole. They talk about Clyde. They talk about 
the state of the case as it stands right now. It's this long scene between father, daughter slash coworkers and, and it's a great scene. Yeah. And it's, uh, we had mentioned this previously on the podcast that they're doing a great job of every once in a while stopping and saying, this is what's happening, right? This is the plot. This is why we're interviewing these people. This is what we're going to do now. This is where we are. And I, it's almost as if sometimes I think when you are, when you have constraints as they had in the first three season, especially the third, you push back against the obvious because you want to be creative, right? And that's part of the creative process. Like I'm a huge fan of this uh, film called The Five Obstructions. Uh, Lars von Trier did it. I know not a lot of people are a fan of Lars von Trier, but this is an exception. This film is about creativity purely. And it's basically about the fact that the the best way to be creative is to limit yourself because then you have to challenge your notions of what you can do to be creative, right? And And what you've previously done. So... They avoided scenes like this in seasons one, two, and three because they seem too expositional. Yeah. But I think now getting being older and having the confidence to know, no, these are necessary scenes. They help the audience. And also, it doesn't always make sense like this makes sense, but this makes sense because – Two detectives who are working together are like two admin. Yeah, they or gotta do this. They yeah. would brainstorm yep. and they would go into one of their offices and go like, okay, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. Definitely. What do we think now? What do we think might happen? And like they would totally brainstorm like this. So it's not a, a, a contrivance. Yes, that I totally agree. You're right. And that's and that's what I mean, right? Yeah. Like I've been on sets and I've been making stuff where someone will go like I'll be like, okay, the next thing we're going to do is this person's just going to say to that person that, and someone will go, but that's, but everybody does that, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just be, but look, okay, there's a reason why, because it works. And this is really like kind of a mature thing. And these scenes and this scene in particular was great because they not only get to lay out the whole case against Big Dick and Clyde. They want to lower the prices so they can buy up the property. Ta-da! They own Neptune, right? And then they can profit off of it, right? It's like gentrification. They're they're doing it like in very quickly, um, and they get you get to see that Keith is hesitant because he doesn't want to believe it because he likes Clyde, right? They just in a scene before that they made plans to go uh, hunting together. He's right. And Clyde's helping him with the medical stuff. Right. And a great doctor and big dick too. He doesn't want to believe it, but he also has to go with what Veronica is saying. So he goes forth and do it. Right. And then Keith also though, now is starting on a new theory and laying out a case that Nicole may be the bomber to Veronica and Veronica doesn't want to hear it. Because she has a personal relationship with Nicole, but she's forced to listen to her father. So it's a great character 
end plot scene that I think just works fantastically. Talk about economical writing. Yeah, he's able great. in like a, a five minute scene, he's able to do everything you just said, put out a lot of exposition and plot, but also have this great character relationship beat between father and daughter because they've been here before where they disagree on a case and Veronica takes one position, Keith takes another. So that's not unheard of in the mythology or the history of, of the show and of the story. But, but once again, they're sort of doing it. And, but it's a great relationship beat for these two people um, that, you know, Keith is like, it's not my friend. It's your friend. (laughs) She's like, no, it's not my friend. My friend's not a mass murderer, but your friend could be a mass murderer. (laughs) And they're so, and they also, the father, the actor, it's so great to have, it's like, why not get a scene where you get to see these two together? Yeah. Let's have just like, I could have a whole episode. I could literally have, that's what gets me excited about more Veronica Mars is like, I want a bottle episode that's literally just Keith and Veronica, the whole episode. You know what I mean? Like the, like you were talking about Breaking Bad, like the fly episode. Yeah. Like something like that. That would be amazing. Like they're on a stakeout and the entire episode is them in a car. I could, I would totally go for that. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they don't, maybe they don't, they're not going to do that at some point, but I, I just think that they're getting the opportunity to do more here, and it's exciting to me. Um, and and the other notion is that they're really the loves of each other's lives. Yeah, yeah. And so and and the chemistry between these two actors has always been extraordinary. But after all these years of working together, it's such second nature now. It seems like to them that it's even more extraordinary. Yeah, they're great. Um, so now we have a, a very big plot point here. Yeah. Uh, the bomber has sent a note to the police chief. And interestingly enough, we don't find out everything that's in the note. It is interesting the way they did, the way they rolled this out. Yeah, I like it, right? Like, they, yeah. she doesn't, like, read it, and then we hear, and then, like, another person reads. This is what I thought was going to happen. It's like, then Veronica's read it, blah, blah, blah. No, we just have a little bit of it. We know that supposedly the bomber has now spoken. We get a few lines um, that that are revealed, but we don't really find out. And that's part of the bigger mystery, which we're going to see later, which is our butt double. Um, but we're going to oh, get to that. <laughs> absolutely. We're, oh, we're, oh, we're going to get to it. <laughs> but I thought that was um, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And 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 spoiler alert, it was a great butt. So good casting. There you go. uh, um but then the next scene, so we get a little bit of that, but then the next scene is a scene that broke my heart. And it also made me once again mad at Veronica. I've been more mad at Veronica this season than I've ever been mad at Veronica. And I was mad at Veronica, so I I so I I want to pick your brain about this. Because you and I have not talked about this, but I was mad at Veronica in this scene. I, I, it's not like I was pleased as punch with Weevil either. So what I'm talking about is a Weevil Veronica scene because um, Weevil comes into the office not long after Keith leaves, and or Keith is in his office, and Veronica, but he's not there. But Veronica and Weevil have a scene. It quickly turns to, into a tense conversation, and then it turns into like a fight like a verbal fight. Yeah. Um, and I felt like at the end of that fight, 
Veronica took a few really low jabs. Yes, definitely. When she brought up his wife and daughter, I was like, oh, Veronica, don't do that. Don't go there. Like, I said that to the TV screen, like, right when it was happening. I was like, oh, Veronica, shame on you. She's really, Um, yeah, I agree. She's really hurt, you know? She's real, and this, I, I really like this. Because, you know, I always wanted them to do more with Weevil. And I like that the aspect there, I mean, he's he's very involved now in this season. And I really like the way that they're bringing up the conflict between them, because that's really a conflict about the town. And it's also a little bit of a conflict, maybe showing too, a little bit of Veronica not realizing her own privilege in a sense, you know, and yep. a little bit of Veronica um, kind of ignoring the institutions and structures that she rails against too, but then not seeing the way that they have moved against Weevil and the way in which he, yes, definitely we all make our own decisions, But for a person who seems to always see the gray, she's being very black and white here with Weevil, you know, and she's being and she's being selectively black and white, which is what he I think that's probably what's pissing him off the most is that she's choosing to take a stand against him in this one situation where like you like you just said usually she's like she sees the gray and everything and she understands it because she lives in gray but in this one one specific situation she's like no this is a line uh, you crossed it and 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 i'm not going to erase the line you know what i think is kind of at the at the um heart of this ken is I feel like she blame she somehow blames Weevil for her father for the car accident. It wasn't so much of an accident as being run over, right, while in a car. Yeah. Um, that happened in the movie. And I like the way that they bring back that stuff, right? And they kind of explain a little bit about what happened to Weevil, you know, yeah. after he got shot. And then Veronica said, we stood up for you, but you settled with them and blah, blah, you know. And not realize, and it's also a little, she's just a blind spot there for her. And I think for me, I began to see that it's kind of centered. It's got to be about something else, you know, and because she's accepted Weevil for who he is in the past and the situation that he finds himself in, in Neptune. And she has been able to sympathize and empathize with it. But in this case, she's it's clouding her. And I think it's I think it comes down to feel to her feeling somehow that he's responsible for what happened to her dad. And that was where she got the most mad, right? Like she's like, My dad stood up for you, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's really what I think hurt her. But we'll we'll see more of it. And this is great stuff. And uh and Weevil's getting a chance to act. He there, I I I mean uh Francis Capra is the name of the actor who plays Weevil. He didn't get a a whole lot to do in season three. um, And he didn't even really have a whole lot to do in season two, really. Um, So it's really since season one 
that he's gotten to shine in this season since season one. Um, And he's a great actor and he's really good at doing masculine vulnerability, which is a very specific thing like macho vulnerability. Um, And he's really good at it. Um, And so my heart always goes out for him, even if at the same time I'm thinking, oh, but you made the wrong choice or you're a criminal or you're doing the wrong thing. But ultimately, my heart always goes out to Weevil because of that um, vulnerability. Yeah. He's great. He's great. Weevil! Well, let's see. We get a quick scene with the murder heads. Not that important. They're just kind of not really getting anywhere, but they are picking up little pieces of the note. So we get a little more of the note in this scene. It's like each scene gives us a little bit more of the note Mm -hmm. without actually telling us fully what's in the note. Um, So they're talking about the note and – you know, it's just a typical murderhead scene where, you know, your buddy is being really funny and really snarky and um and uh and Penn Epner is like his foil. Um so so it's great. Taking a little break from our Veronica Mars discussion to remind you to go to our presenting sponsor, cufflinks.com, baby. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR and use code DVR twenty. Get twenty percent off your order, no minimum. That's right, baby. It's all there for the taken. If you like NCAA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Marvel, DC, they've got everything. Hey, man, they got new stuff for the Aladdin movie. It's amazing stuff. Check it out. Cufflinks.com has everything along with those classic styles that just look good. They're not all genre stuff. They've got the classic stuff too. So go to cufflinks.com slash DVR and use code DVR20 today. So it was just really great to see them at work. And it's just a short little scene where we get to see a little bit more of the note, which is really the main reason for the scene. Um, From here, we go to the mayor's office, which once again is all about the note which we keep hearing about. We hear <laughs> we hear a little bit more about the note because the mayor says he doesn't want to do something and he tries to get his aide to agree with him because he's talking to Chief Langdon and his aide's like, no, I actually agree with the chief. Um, so the mayor's like sad sack. He's like, oh, sad face. Wah, wah. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much that scene. Just once again, a short little scene about the note. Um, but then we come to a substantial scene which is, once again, Keith and Veronica. Um, Has there been this much Keith and Veronica since season one? I don't think so. Um, But another great Keith and Veronica scene, um, which starts with Veronica smelling that something is burning. Yeah, she Keith has left his lunch on on top of kind of like the, the little oven. Yeah. You know, and it's almost, it's so interesting the way they did that. And it took me a moment to notice the subtlety in there that he didn't put it in and leave it. He turned the oven on, put the food on top of it and left it. Yeah. And that's so interesting because it's like a, it's an, it's a really great little writing insight to the way that when people have issues with memory loss and, and deterioration that the, it's, it's a lo- It's like the cognitive ladder. It's not, that step that we always think of, you know what I mean? Like it's the other steps and this leads them to finally, um, uh, almost, almost, uh, 
have a discussion uh, about Keith, what's happening with Keith. But before they really can, Maddie arrives. Yes. And uh, she admits to telling Ken. Tell, oh, well, in the notes I put telling Ken, but it's actually Penn. Yes. <laughs> See, I was thinking of you, Ken. Um, she admits to telling Penn about the big dick theory, yes. which fills in a little bit of the blanks for, I think, for Veronica and Keith, but also establishes that that flirtation that Maddie was having with kind of like, again, not really trusting them is over. She's kind of like fully trusting them now. Yeah, so it's really like a character moment for her to tell the audience that she has now turned the corner and after kind of hovering around the Marses, now she fully trusts them and she's willing to back them versus going back to the Murderheads or going to someone else like Vinnie Van Lowe um, or go to the police. Um, She's Team Mars now. Yeah, and this sets up a cool little throwback um, another kind of little set piece here where, and I like the way they do this too, is where they're doing a, a lot of scenes where someone says, I'm going to do something. And then they do it in the next scene, yes. right? Which is important because uh, in the past, a lot of times somebody would say, I'm going to do something. And then we'd cut to the B story, right? And that would pick up. But this way we're having like a pr- more of a propulsive plot here. And so she says, I'm going to help you with the hacking. I know a guy at school that can help um, on the, uh, and this is finding out about like the shell companies yes. that big Dick is involved with and, and, and um, Clyde as well. And so now we get a school bus scene, which was eerily reminiscent of the school bus that went off the cliff yes. to me. And I think it was purposeful too. some of even the shots, but this time Wallace is the teacher, yes. which scared me for a minute. Yeah. And I totally th- – did you think this bus was going off a cliff? No, I did not. Okay, but, I did. <laughs> but it made me laugh that they were like using that, like purposefully so using dark. that. Yeah. Um, and what made me laugh even more was kind of the meta for Wallace overhearing Maddie work. Yes. The teenage hacker guy. That was great. Um and him kind of knowingly smiling as he's listening to them or listening to her kind of manipulate him into helping her solve a case. Yeah, that was really that was great too. And it was so, yeah, it was a throwback in many ways. And I think at the end of the scene, what it, Wallace is like, yeah, that's the way it goes. Or you know, he he just makes even like a verbal. Um, kind of uh, confirmation that he understands like, oh man, this is just like what I had to do back in the day working for Veronica, you know, getting the case done. And it's, and he's also in a sense though, kind of part of it, right? Like facilitating it still, you know? And I think that that's awesome too. It's like the generations of Mars is getting people to trick other people into giving them information. Right. And <laughs> and speaking speaking of throwbacks, we once again, I think this has been since season one, or maybe season two, but definitely season one, we get to see Cliff McCormick back in a courtroom. Yeah, this is great. And I like how they do this, too. Um, we get to see, you know, uh, him kind of working it and being with the judge. And we also get to see that he is good at what he does. 
It's also great because even though it's played for laughs with the prostitute and the vets and all that stuff, um, I feel like it's also like, because there are a lot of cases that go to court every single day in every single city in this country. I feel like there are a lot of cases like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like little cases with prostitutes and and public defenders who are like, oh, come on. I mean, she's just, you know, come on, judge. So it was also kind of an interesting po- uh, uh, peek into the criminal justice system. Yeah. And this is really all about Veronica wanting uh, to talk with Juan Diego. Yes. Um, and we're going to see more of that, too. But before we see more of that. We finally get to understand what was in the note, and this is a Black Mirror episode one, season one, kind of. Have you seen that, Ken? I haven't, and it's okay. so funny you say that, because I, the person I was watching this episode with, I turned to him when the scene started and when I understood what was about to happen and I said, Oh my God, it's just like black mirror. <laughs> yeah, It's just like the prime minister dude. Yep. I didn't, I didn't remember that it was season one, episode one, but I, I remembered that there was a black mirror episode where someone blackmailed a politician into doing something really embarrassing slash gross. Um, in the case of black mirror, more gross um, in this case, just more embarrassing. Um, but it turns out that whoever sent the letter had a demand and the demand was that the mayor of Neptune, who we've seen multiple times now run naked through the streets of Neptune. Yeah. And he, does he I, and I guess he says fully naked, but, it, but the mayor ends up keeping shoes on and, <laughs> because, yes. because he does not want to run barefoot and God bless his, uh, God bless the character of the mayor's <laughs> wife who's in the car with him as he's about to get out and run naked. She couldn't be more supportive of her she, husband. She's very supportive. And we later find out why she's more supportive because yes. she was basically wanted to show off his ding dong. And she didn't have any problem with him running through the streets, right? Because she's, she wants all her girlfriends <laughs> to know that she's like the luckiest woman in the world. Yeah. As, right? Because as Cliff later says – uh, it's just a throwaway line. Late, a, a few scenes later, Cliff calls him a tripod. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's interesting the way – that's kind of funny too, the way they turn that on its head, right? Like, I yeah. mean, come on. You're in the writer's room. You could say, aha, let's make fun of the mayor. But no, let's give him a huge dick and he gets to run. And also, guess what? His wife is kind of like, go and do it. You know what I mean? Like this is the this is what they asked you to do. Ooh, we're going to be able to brag about this for years. So it kind of turned against whoever is writing this letter. Um, it didn't really work out too well, but it gave an a, a incredible opportunity for me. What was so amazing about this this whole this scene and what we see after is that we then flashed our cartel hitmen. Yeah. Sitting in a little cafe, sipping some what it was like almond coffee or something, right? No, it was um, no, it was another spice, but it would it it was a spice coffee that you wouldn't think would go in coffee. Okay. Uh, oh no, it was um, oh, it was a flower. It was jasmine, jasmine. jasmine. Okay, jasmine right. coffee. Right. Yes, just a t- just a hint of jasmine in it. Yeah, and they're like, and they and you could see how they're kind of like settling into America. They're having that like typical like we've been talking about they're kind of fargo-esque 
like hitman thing where they're like, well, maybe we don't need to be hit. You know what I mean? Like we're living this life. And then all of a sudden the mayor runs naked through there and they're kind of the, the fallacy of it all is brought to light. And I think that in that moment too, they realize it as well, you know? And (laughs) they're like, what? This is so ridiculous. But wait, we're hitmen drinking jasmine. <laughs> like it's like right. you know, it's like a it's like the great yeah. pun. It's a great punchline to a joke. Yes, like it was like great. like like the scene. And but the other thing is, it turns out that a bunch of other dudes are running naked with the mayor, mm-hmm. like in solidarity. And I kind of thought that was really sweet. I did too. And it shows that there is a side of Neptune that. We're not getting, we're getting hints of here, right? And maybe sometimes in the partying, we might be worried about Veronica, but this is a fun town, right? Like, it's almost like Veronica, they miss, it's like the rich people and the different, and like all the, the social and cultural and all the differences, economic differences they have kind of get in the way of everyone just having a good time and being together and accepting each other. And it's like, if the message was more of that and less of this is such a crummy town, maybe Neptune could be uplifted, you know? And it's the same could be said perhaps for Veronica herself, you know? Oh, yeah. Accept true. the love around you, Veronica. Yeah, there's a lot of bad things in life, but you got a lot of good going around you too. A lot of people who care, like me and Ken. Um, and, and the other great <laughs> thing about this scene is that an unknown day actor got to be a butt double and got to get, have a day's worth of work. Yeah. Um, God bless the actors union. So, because the actor playing the mayor, that was definitely not his butt. No, no, that was no. not his butt. They got a butt double and you know what, whoever the casting people are, they probably had a fun day looking at some butts. <laughs> they um, there you go. Here, can I get another <laughs> butt shot? Thank you. Uh, so now we get to kind of wrap back around to uh, Cliff and Veronica. Veronica, is, Cliff has allowed Veronica inter- to interrogate Juan Diego. She flashes back the 600 bucks that she took from him. Um, he is scared for his life. And this this is very important because he, it turns out that his brother killed another gang leader, right? And if yes. he is sent to Chino... He is going to get killed. Definitely get killed. For sure. So there is an ethical quandary here because Veronica is basically using that against him. But also she brings up again and again how he mugged her, right? Like she doesn't have a lot of sympathy. And it's interesting because remember Keith and Logan were like, yo, you got mugged. Like that's, that's like a violate, you know, someone tried to jump you, you know what I mean? Like at least talk about it a little bit and you can see the way that Veronica is acting out on this and kind of not really seeing what situation this young kid is in, right? At which she should be a little bit more empathetic to, um, but eventually Juan Diego admits what she wanted to know and what she feared is that Clyde is bankrolling uh weevil 
And Weevil's, you know, taking the money and handing it out to the crew, the PCHers, who are committing these kind of random acts, whether it's spray painting the big, I think it was Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton uh, mural yeah. yes. uh, for uh, in front of the uh, like microbrewery or stealing wallets or taking a dump in the ice uh, bucket, the ice maker. So this is what Veronica thought was happening. And now it's confirmed but the way in which she went about it is perhaps not too nice. Which is what Weevil was so upset about yeah. when he went into the office. Like, that's what he was upset about. He was upset that Veronica was seemingly willing to risk this young man's life just to to get a clue. Yep, yep. And that is uh, – she's that that determination takes people down. And we've seen that before with her. Yeah. Um, now we get a fun we get a fun little scene here where Clyde and Keith are hunting, yeah. and uh, I like this is kind of cute. You know what I mean? Um, it is kind of at different points they play up the detective thing, which I always love when they do this. You know, Keith is like taking pictures of the phone, and then he switches them in case he sees that he was looking at the phone right. Yeah. Oh, I took your phone by accident. Um, but then Clyde also kind of moves past him with the gun. (laughs) (laughs) And JK, you could tell that these actors are having so much fun together. Absolutely. I mean, like they have good chemistry. Yeah, they really Um, do. And and so did in the moment, did you think he left the phone his phone out on purpose? I did. I did. Um, and I wasn't and even after I wasn't so sure that um that that of why he did that right yeah yeah and then when i say but i i guess i should say because when i introduce it i i came to think that he did do it on purpose but maybe he now i'm thinking maybe he didn't so i mean with the memory stuff you know true um another question before we move on much further are do you think the actual bomber sent that note? Um, I was not sure. And uh, watching through it, I kind of felt like I felt at this point that there was a connection between that note and the um, person who was blackmailing the uh congressman oh interesting because of the nature of the notes and kind of making a politician do something yeah i felt at this point that there was a connection between them but i wasn't so sure that it was the bomber because i always feel like as i'm watching this and i'm trying to figure out who's actually doing it why are they doing it I always think to myself that with Veronica Mars, there's always a couple more steps. So that's why with this show, and we've talked about it before, I'm not always like kind of sitting there. And even on the show, we're not sitting here going like, who could have done, like getting into yeah. every minute detail because the journey is kind of where is what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. You know? to- totally. How about you? Um, I, I I guess I feel exactly the same way. Like to me, I, I mean, I hadn't thought about the Congressman Maloof connection. So that's really smart and interesting. Um, but at the time I thought 
Um, it didn't seem like the bomber, but then it also just, it's, it's part of the journey. Um, so, and I'm enjoying the ride and I'm enjoying the journey. So, um, so I guess I ultimately took it the same way. Yeah. Um, I think we get to like the heart of this episode, not the brain of this episode, but maybe the heart of this episode is, well, the heart of the entire show is the relationship that Veronica has with Logan and the Veronica and the relationship she has with her father. Um, and so the heart of this episode is two back to back scenes. First, Veronica has a scene with her father and then she has a scene with Logan. Yeah. These, these are really awesome. And um, we've been waiting for this, right? Yeah. And the conversation between Keith and Veronica takes such a turn at the end when he just basically admits that he wants to stop being a detective. He wants her to stop being a detective. He wants them to kind of get out of the life, close the agency. And what starts out as Veronica kind of being really scared for him but in denial of what's going on um really kind of swings back on her and to then have her then discuss it with logan too it was like it was just like way too much for her you could tell yeah and and this the scene was well a few things i thought she was going to get mad um, and so the scene even contained surprises for me because she did not get mad at the situation or, or, and, or her father for keeping this from her. I was afraid she was going to get angry yeah. that he kept her in the dark, but she was nothing but empathy and concern and fear, fear because of what he may be facing. Yeah. Um, but she wasn't mad at him, which is great and surprising, but like good surprising. Um, but then she was taken aback by, like you said, his obvious desire to quit the business and dot, dot, dot. He wants her to quit the business, too. And then we immediately get a scene with Logan where she's venting to him about all of this. And for, and in this scene, I was not mad at Veronica. And I wasn't mad at, at Logan either. But I was like, Logan, pick a pick a different time to like be like, oh, like what do you really want? And, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like you don't want me, you don't want this. Like that was the wrong time to bring all of that up because she's upset about her dad. She's upset about what he said to her. So Logan actually picked the wrong time to like bring up other stuff. You know what? I'm actually going to defend Logan here, Ken. Wow. Um, I I really think he didn't have any other choice. She never opens up. That's true. You're right about that. You yes. know, she never opens up. He had to strike while the iron is hot and it and it was hard to see, right? And that's why I say like it was too much for her, right? You know, like you're right that she didn't react with anger uh to Keith uh about hiding what was going on and she actually said take the care from Clyde, right? Yeah. Like she was like do it. You this is the, you know, that's who cares about anything else, you know? Which was, I mean, that was great, too, because that's kind of the Veronica that I love, which is more so being what's really important, her dad, and letting everything else go to the wayside. Um, With Logan, I feel like he doesn't really have so many options with her. 
And, uh, you know, she's not playing it off. She's not talking about something else. She wants to open up. And I think he wants her to kind of get used to, you know, what I find is when it's hard for people who find it hard to open up emotionally and talk about their feelings when they, when, when they, uh, when they kind of avoid it and avoid it. It makes it turns the other person into the person who's, oh, why are you always bringing up all my feelings? You know what I mean? I don't know if I explained that properly, but it's like it makes Logan look like he is trying, you know, like kind of hitting her at a hard time. But really, it's just that she will never open up. So he has to kind of, like I say, strike while the iron is hot. And a lot of the things he said in this conversation and the way that he um, kind of is honest about things is really shows a person who has been kind of going to therapy and, you know, it, but it, I see your point, Ken, because it was tough on Veronica, but um, she's tough. You know what I mean? And, and, and she's he he just feels like he could potentially lose her as a yeah. result of this as well this is not so much of a you'd think that logan would see this oh he wants you to stop doing this and stop oh and settle down but no it's almost as if it's just another way to kind of shake up their life yeah you know like well, he's never going to be able to settle down with her because it's always something else what kind of world are we living in where you're defending Logan to me? <laughs> well, I'm telling you, he's really, I've turned the corner. Definitely. And this is, he's changed. He's a different dude. He is. A different you know, dude. and you can say, you can definitely say that. Yeah, that's true. And, and you, I mean, I hadn't, I mean, so thank you for that. I think that's really a smart observation, a kind of an emotionally smart observation of that scene uh, and the dynamic that they had in that scene. Um, th- I mean, and in a way, if you follow your thought process, which I'm sure is the correct one, his gambit pays off because at the end of the scene, she reveals an emotional truth, which is that she can't imagine her life without her father and Logan. Yeah. And that's so important to her. And it's the fear of losing them, right? That's causing yeah. her to not want to see it and not want to talk about it. Because she obviously has uh, a big problems with abandonment, whether it's her mom, her best friend, all the people who have died around her, the way the ways in which um, people have deceived her and and fooled her, or stepped in and out of her life, left and then come back. Even Logan, like his he he is emotionally available to her there, but his job prevents him from being there for her. So he, he, there is an aspect of this that he's not taking responsibility for as well. True. Um, Oh man, it's so emotional. So emotional. Well, what, (laughs) what was even more emotional for me was the next scene because I actually got scared. Yeah. and, And I never thought, Oh my God, if you had told me that I was going to get scared, like really scared, like shit my pants scared, that Vinnie Van Lowe was about to die, then I wouldn't have believed you. But I was scared. I was specifically scared that they were going to kill Vinnie off. 
Yeah. This, and, this- I, and I was like, I was biting my fingernail. I was literally biting my fingernails in this next scene, which takes place at Comrade Quacks. Um, Cause Vinny is there to find the ring because he thinks it might be in the lost and found box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This damn ring. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th- they really, th- you're right, Ken, because they use Vinny and the way that he's so annoying and terrible, but then there's also a vulnerability to him and a stupidity yeah. to him. Yeah. And, and when the bomb goes off here, it really shook me. It took me by surprise. This one really took me by surprise. Uh, the one at the um, the one at the uh, volleyball game shocked me too. But they kind of set it up. It lulled into it. You know, yeah. this one was different because you're kind of concentrating on Vinny, and even in the aftermath, um, he's kind of trying to shake it off and act like nothing happened. Right? He's yeah. coming up trying to find more evidence from the police chief. You know. Um, while si- while simultaneously flirting with her, yeah, and it's <laughs> right. but there's also you can kind of tell he's shaken, yeah, you know, and it's similar to it made me think for a second. Wow, Vinny and Veronica are a lot closer than they either of them want to admit. Interesting. That's a great. You just blew my mind. Like that's a really interesting observation you that know? they're not as far apart as either one of them would think they are. Yeah, they really kind of like live in this world of just keep it moving, and even if something like this happens, you don't really, you're not really like kind of um, feeling it and and working through it. You're just moving on, and it kind that behavior kind of surprised me. But then you see it with Vinny, and then you see it with Veronica too. And she ends up taking a little bit of evidence with her. Yeah, she picks up a nail. And then in the background, we incidentally hear that no one was killed, but that multiple people are hurt. Yes, no fatalities in this one. So it seems like the bomber may be getting... A li- not I, I don't want to say the word careless, but maybe this wasn't one of his elaborate setups. Yeah, it didn't seem like this. The purpose of this was to kill people. Right. Right. It seemed like this was a scare and it went off like in the back of the bathroom, they said. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting as well. Um, and but they did. They shot it. Well, it was it scared me. It was good. I, I, I thought that then the Vinnie Veronica part really kind of added a depth to it for me. Um, now we get a great scene where Penn and one of the, and one of the female murder heads. I don't remember her name. Do you remember her name, Ken? You know, I I don't, and I I want to say she's the only female that's present at the meetings, like present, not on a video screen. Um, and it was obvious from episode one that he had a crush on yeah, her, yeah, um, probably a long term crush, probably. Yeah. Um, and so. She comes in to his apartment, his basement apartment, and tells him that she's had a revelation. Yeah, and she's figured out through Twitter that <laughs> the now let me try to get the free the the total phrase right is prostituting myself is because she notices that phrase in the note and the blackmail note, and she and she explains to Penn that that's a weird. That's not a common phrase that people in 2019 use. Prostitute oneself. That's yes. what, that's the phrase, right? Prostitute oneself. And this was used by Big Dick 
on the Twitter and it's in the note and they believe that this is the connection that will maybe get them the $200,000 um, reward, not, uh, reward, not, not prize, but reward. Um, and also one thing I noticed, I started to think here is that maybe that she is at the center of Penn and uh, Clark, who I, I don't remember his name on the show. Uh, I don't even know. They probably, I don't know how many times they said it, that she is maybe at the center of what their kind of issues are, that they were both oh. trying to impress her. Maybe. Um, and yeah. that this, that because they did have this kind of long standing, it seems like they really were kind of like, this had been a long time coming that these two can kind of make out and have some nerd sex on the bed. Yeah, because she's impressed that she has found proof that yeah. his theory was right. I don't know about, I, I don't know if you thought this, but because it came right off the bomb thing, I thought a bullet was going to come through the window. I, I, I did. I thought that, I thought really? one of them was going to get shot. That's I, interesting. It was an interesting scene, but then something does happen because right. they find this dead duck in the bed. Interesting. And we just saw a, a duck hunting scene earlier. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What's going on here? Now um, we get a uh, we get a scene with uh, Veronica and uh, Maddie has dug up dug up some stuff. And yeah. we find out that not only has Maddie duck up information about the shell companies through Big Dick because Maddie's little ruse with her high school friend worked, right? And yeah. he hacked for them. So score one for Maddie. She has used her feminine wiles to convince this guy to hack for them. And the the shell company is Phoenix Land Trust. Shout out. Yep. Shout out to season two and to Beaver. And uh, we remember all that that happened and went down there. So I love the way they're still connecting. They really do. To me, they're doing a great job of keeping the connective tissues to the past seasons without it seeming too fan servicey, right? Like this works. Well, this makes sense. It does. And, and, and what they're really doing, I mean, they're, they're maybe being fan, a little fan servicey too, but what they're really doing is they've created the self-contained universe. Neptune is a real place and it has a real history and it's a small town. So no one forgets anything. And so because of all that, they're staying true to what would actually happen in a place like this if it were real. Like people would, like Big Dick would keep that company and he would use it for nefarious reasons. And because it was already um, an obscure uh, shell company set up by his son. So the fact that he used it himself is not surprising. And and, and And the mention of it, it's great. It's it just, it, it's a great reminder to the rich history of Neptune. Yeah, definitely. And we're definitely at this point, all eyes are uh, back on big Dick and Clyde here. We've yeah. got the connection with the duck. We've got the shell companies and leading back to Phoenix land trust. And that kind of reiterates the scumminess of big Dick, right? 
Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, these kind of shows he put on at the meetings and, oh, he could be kind of funny, but let's not forget he is a big dick. It's not yes. just a game. This guy, this is a terrible guy. So um, even though it seems like the cards are completely stacked against big dick and, and Clyde, the one thing that Veronica instantly sees when she's going through the paperwork that Maddie has brought her is she realizes yep. that one of the people who sold their business to the Phoenix Land Trust was Nicole Malloy. Yep. Um, and she sold it before the second bomb went off. So um, it's really interesting here. Yeah, that we've got everything's moving towards Big Dick and Clyde, but we've also got movement towards Nicole. Right. And each Veronica and Keith are being challenged, but we see that Veronica go ahead, goes ahead. And at the end of this episode, she bugs Nicole's office. And she has this great voiceover where she talks about uh, people in her life and how they've disappointed her and how they always disappoint her. And that's yeah. why she has to like keep her guard up and, or, or something. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. That isn't exactly how she says it. Um, and and even though that's a sad nihilistic note on her inner life, um, in this case, once again, um, her her pessimism has turned out to be true because obviously there's more going on with Nicole than she's letting on. Be, if only because she never said anything to Veronica, right? That exactly. she's that she's that she sold the club. Yeah, I mean, um, it's 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 conceivable that she did this, right? Like, okay, yeah. it's her club. She could do that if she wants to do that, right? She's been through a lot. She doesn't want to yeah. do this anymore. We see how she's got to have to like beat up frat guys and blah blah blah. Maybe, but the fact that she's lying in the midst of everything that's going on, and also in regard to the speech that she gave at the meet at the town hall meeting, right? The yeah. town council meeting and, and the, the relationship that she's developed with Veronica, where she's being really honest about things with her and trying to gain her trust. It is suspicious that she has not told her. So the voiceover points to that. But another thing that the voiceover and all the voiceovers continue to point to is that uh, this is not headed towards a happy resolution, Right. Right. Like Veronica is still, these voiceovers are like, I wish I didn't, or when they warned me, right? A lot of that kind of stuff. And this is a great tip to the noir world because, like, <clears throat> In Sherlock Holmes and in Agatha Christie mysteries, those uh, ostensibly have happy endings because the detective, whether it's Sherlock or Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple, they solve the mystery. The bad guy gets ex uh, gets exposed, goes to prison, and, <clears throat> and then they all lived happily ever after. Uh, in this case, this is not the first time that Veronica has had a bittersweet uh, that, that there's been a bittersweet conclusion yeah. to a mystery um, in, in her life. Um, and the idea that your life gets better once the mystery is solved um, has turned out to not be true for Veronica true. in her experience. Yeah. Yeah. And this is yet another example that this, this is not going to end well either. Nope. Yeah, man. Great episode. We, we, we shall see what is going to occur in the next I want to point out a few things in this episode. We didn't see any resolution of the brother that was shot in the desert from the last episode when he got picked up. Yeah. We didn't see any resolution of that. 
Congressman Maloof and his family are not in the episode. True. Not in this episode. Dick, is he in Romania? Where's Dick? <laughs> where is Dick? Where's Dick? We know where it's Big important. Dick is. Where's Little Dick? That's we don't right. know. And also one thing I wanted to ask you about, Ken, is I'm starting to feel here with each of these, we've got, we've had four bombings so far, the motel, the kid's head, uh, the volleyball game, the kid's head getting blown off and the bar, right? We've actually had five bombings. Okay. What's, which is the fifth one? So the third bombing, no, the second bombing um, no, I'm sorry. The third bombing was actually the guy blowing up himself. Oh, you're right. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. But the one bombing that they don't seem to talk about a lot, and I still don't understand what happened, is the one during the volleyball game. I'm still not under. I'm still not sure where exactly it happened, what the circumstances of it were. You know, when Keith and Veronica were doing their wrap-up scene earlier in this episode, he actually even makes a reference to the fact that a bartender who was slinging margaritas said something misogynistic to Veronica earlier that day as if he was one of the casualties of the volleyball bombing. Um, Because at the time, Keith is trying to make a point that – a misogynistic man has died at every bombing. Oh, yes, and, that's and, true. And, right. and, and, and the reason why he's yeah. making that point is because he's trying to make a case that Nicole could be the bomber yeah. because she was raped and she could have a grudge against men and blah, blah, blah. Um, so Keith even makes a reference to the fact that there's a bartender who was maybe not a nice guy who was either a casualty um, or, or a victim of of the volleyball bombing. So they're still giving us information about the volleyball game bombing, but they're not actually telling us like they're not covering it in in the same way right. that they covered the other bombings. And it and it brings to mind what it really kind of signaled to me is like you were saying in the last one is the bomber getting lazy or are there multiple bombers going on here, right? And this has been brought up before too. Yeah. Where they say, oh, there could be a copycat or one person did it for this reason, another for – it just seems to me that in these kind of detective stories, when you get to these most chaotic points, right, like where we're kind of entering, where it could be this person, it could be that person, you know, there's more to uncover here. And I love the way that they wrap this mystery around like that. And that's what I really appreciate about this show. And it reminds me of like True Detective, another show that we uh, Heath and I covered, where I I never was so like, who did it? You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like sometimes like in Game of Thrones, you're like, who? Oh, my gosh. What did the White Walkers going to do? We, we can talk about it, try to figure out. I kind of have more fun in the hazy, um, like kind of questions of the mystery because... I think so that the show, too, is holding back, right? Like, we may have not seen everything that we need to know yeah. to be able to figure out who the bomber is. And I'm okay with that, right? I'm okay with new new evidence popping up to our characters and then being related to us. And I like the way we kind of figure it out along with Keith and Veronica. So I'm having a lot of fun. Me 
too. This was a this this felt like another kind of middle of the story episode, but kind of like the last one, um, episode four. But like I said, with episode four, um, well done, like a well done middle episode, not like a I, I don't say that as a complaint or a diss. Um, because there's always the middle of the story. Yeah, there's a beginning, yeah. there's a middle, and there's an end. So there's always a middle of True. a story. And we're like in the middle of the story right now. But this is expertly crafted, expertly executed. Um, they are really fi- firing on all cylinders. Definitely. Now, I want it, before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to Sean. Sean is my old friend from World of Video, and he's been listening. And he's going to come on with Ken and I at the end of the season and kind of talk all things Veronica Mars. Sean is the guy who introduced me to Veronica Mars. Uh, So I'm excited about that. I also want to give a shout out to Donald, uh, our old podcasting partner and friend who has been listening as well. And we appreciate that, Donald. We know you love Veronica Mars and you always had a passion for it too. So we appreciate that. And also to Neptune rising on Twitter, who has always been retweeting us and and all that. We really do appreciate it. We also got a um we got an iTunes review that I wanted to give a shout out to at the same time. Let's see if I can bring that up on my phone. We had a lot of a lot of nice feedback and I always I kind of forget sometimes to say say thank you to the feedback. So I want to give a thank to Snazzy48. Very much appreciate that uh itunes review and if anyone else would like to give us one we appreciate that too but that's all we got for episode five of season four of veronica mars we're gonna flip it around and be right back and record episode six we're looking forward to it ken any final words you have for this episode thank you to all all those listeners out there like like you were just saying thank you for the feedback thank you for the compliments um we really appreciate it um, I'm just here because I love the show and, and I love talking about it. And but it's great if if um, you guys are enjoying it too. It's just like icing on the cake. Um, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. I feel like we're about to turn a corner and enter the end game. Yeah. Um, and 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 I'm really excited. All right. Well, thank you. We'll be back soon. Peace out. <laughs>